Hello everyone, I am Sonia Camille and I am here today so excited, literally thrilled that you guys are all here with me today here on the pod. This is Sonia with the Call Me Camille podcast. What's up? Hello, my friends. This is Sonia with the Call Me Camille podcast. I am so excited that you are here with me today, right here on the very last day of February. We are celebrating Black History Month on this very last day of February. First of all, can you even believe that we are through the month of February already? Oh, I am. It's just insane how fast this year is already going by, but I digress. I'm sorry. I'm back. We're here and I'm so happy that you are here with me here on the pod. So I had the wonderful opportunity to talk to friends that I haven't spoken with in years and also talked to past residents as well as current residents of Covert, Michigan and uh, asked them a few questions. We took trips down memory lane and talked about our childhood a bit, but then I just really wanted to dive deep into what their thoughts were relative to Covert. And for those of you who do not know, many of my listeners may not, Many of my listeners may know, but Covert, Michigan is my hometown. So this is an extra special treat for me to talk to the residents of Covert to find out what they said. And everyone, this is what they said. My name is Alan Mingle. Deborah Webb Jackson. My name is Elgin Burton. Barbara Buckley Grasses. My name is John L. Young. My name is Betty Columbell. My name is Lisa Smith. Charles E. Peterson Sr., but most people call me Deacon Peterson. And I am from the graduating class of 1990. 1990. 1981. I graduated with the class of 1969 from Covert High School. Member of the mighty class of 1956. 1948. The mighty class of 69. Graduating class of 1990 from Covert High School. 1992. My class was a mighty class of 1969. The one word that I would use to describe my relationships with past or present friends from Covert is foundational. Lasting. Um, love. The first word that comes to my mind is happiness. Enduring. Uh, constant, yeah. Bond, laughter, and strong bond. I'd say strong, resilient, persistent. It's fulfilling, evolving, and transformational. I would say family, because they were all like family. Those relationships are very sincere. Covert will always be in the fibers of my spirit. We're like family. We're a bond. We are, uh, we got... It was uh, always social. We could always turn and go back to it. That phrase, but who let the dogs out? Your father and the men that were in your life and the men that were in your community that you saw working hard, all of that Mm -hmm. allowed you then in your career to just go and say like, I'm going to take what I learned into my career um, as an example to my children and to others and then to help bring them up. And I think that's pretty extraordinary. Growing up in Culver, had a very positive impact on my life as an adult because it taught me to get along with everyone. I could get along with whites, blacks, Hispanics um, because our community was so diverse and we played with every child regardless of their race. When I think of covert, I think of memories, I think of fun, my childhood, my family. Yes, the family-like relationships that I had with those in the community, but also my family. In loving memory of my beloved wife, LaDon Pruitt Mingo, salutatorium, class of 1969. And I'm Sonia Mingo Coakley, class of 1990. And that 
is what they said. Listen, it was so awesome to be able to ask a few past and present members and residents of Covert, Michigan, a few questions that I had. It was super fun and I enjoyed catching up with them. Interviews lasted way longer than what they should have because we digressed. We talked about all kinds of things, but that was a super fun segment and I was excited to be able to do that. If I have not already welcomed you, I am welcoming you here, my friends, to the Call Me Camille podcast. I have a very special episode in store for you right here, right now. Stay tuned. It's coming up next here on the Call Me Camille podcast. Welcome. So show me why you're strong. Ignore everybody else. We're alone. Today we are talking about Covert, Michigan, a small town with honestly an inspiring and intriguing history, my hometown. And many of the things that I'm going to talk to you about today, I didn't even know myself. Sadly, I did not know this. I am blown away. Covert, an American town that never experienced segregation. Let's go. For over 150 years, Covert has been a town of racial hopes and dreams. And Covert had both whites and blacks just after the Civil War that decided to settle in this area. And the intriguing thing is that to this day, that Covert, Michigan, this small town in Michigan, still remains the most diverse community in Michigan. That is mind-blowing. So just in case you're wondering, where in the world is Covert, Michigan, which most people do? Covert is a small town, and it is literally across the state from Detroit. You will get to a town called Covert right before you go cross over into South Haven. So hopefully that gives you an idea. Pull it up. Look at your map. You'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, it has a population today of approximately 3,000 residents. I think uh, there's colleges that have more students than what is in this town. Out of that 3,000, you will have approximately 1,400 Caucasian, 1,000 African American, and 600 Hispanic individuals and residents that live in Covert. And that is according to the last data that I was able to find. Surprisingly, the part that's like really fascinating is that this demographic remains relatively consistent throughout the years. I don't I don't know how that's even possible. As people come and go, um, it's very interesting that somehow it's remained consistent throughout the years, which honestly, in and of itself, is an incredibly unusual mix for any rural Midwestern town. So we're talking about Covert, and now when you plug in Covert, Michigan, you all this information is coming up because... Covert has recently gained national recognition. And by recently, I mean within the last decade. Historians have attempted to understand how this town seemingly escaped the atrocities of racial division. And even, you know, as other American towns practiced segregation and ended up plagued, literally plagued by racial hatred, the residents of Covert lived respectfully together. You guys, that's fascinating. It literally is mind-blowing how that transpired at that time in history. But it is a fascinating phenomena and and even more intriguing story to me even. (laughs) Someone who was born in South Haven, Michigan, raised in a covert. It's intriguing. Covert, my friends, is a small town with deep, deep roots, with strong roots, It's an American town that never experienced segregation. I had the wonderful opportunity to interview one of Covert, Michigan's longtime residents, Miss Betty Collin-Bell. Miss Collin-Bell had taught in the Covert public school systems for over 50 years. She, along with her family, relocated to Covert when she was just a young girl, and she spent all of her school age years in Covert. Miss Collin-Bell's family, the Pompeys, were one of the original families that settled in Covert. She knows 
knows covert. She is covert. This is a portion of the amazing interview that I had with her. Let's listen in to hear what she has to say about her experience living in covert Michigan. My name is Betty Columbell. Uh, I graduated from COVID in 1948. Um, I taught at COVID, and uh, I've, my family is from COVID, the Pompey, Owens, Jeffries family, and my children all graduated from COVID. So I could say I'm a covert person. Some of the blacks who made their way to covert had been born into slavery and others had always been free in name, if not in practice. And so many of the whites who made their way to covert from the East arrived as confirmed abolitionists with affiliations in some cases to the congregational churches. Farming or logging mills provided steady income for most residents, and the relatively low level of poverty divided racial concord. That is an excerpt from the book, A Stronger Kinship, by Dr. Annalisa Cox. I encourage you to read that book. I was born in Detroit, but I came to Covert uh, when I started uh, elementary school, first grade. Um, I lived in South Bend, Indiana. Um, there was a t- I spent a year in California, but uh, most of my time other than when I was in college, uh, I've lived here in Culver, South Haven area. I was literally blown away, as I said, and I don't want to keep saying that. I- I'm going to think of another word other than saying, guys, I am blown away, but like legit blown away at this story so look at this is what happened so around starting around the 1860s for you people who really paid attention in history (laughs) you know or for those of us who forgot like dates i'm like wait 1860s that's like literally people were like freed off of plantations and um then they decided to settle to a place called covert michigan and travel and there's a whole background in that there's books that have been written um, about this and uh, so I'm not going to get into all of the details but this is what I want to focus on but here's the thing one of the books that I read about the history of covert this is what they said and I love how they said it they said they broke laws and barriers to attempt what seemed impossible at that time in American history and that is to respectfully coexist with everyone regardless of the color of their skin. These people broke laws. And how is that possible? I think about that. Obviously, I've got law enforcement family. I have attorney. I'm married to an attorney. I'm thinking about, okay, how do you break a law and no one report it? And no one tell. There's always those people. You guys remember those people in class, those people at school, the people that always will raise their hand and like, you're like, hey, this is what we're going to do. You know, the big thing that we did back in the day, and I guess I'm telling on myself here is I'm going to sneak in. We go to the movies in college. We would pay for one movie. I'm, this is really bad. My parents are going to hear this. You always have those people that just no matter what, come on, loosen up a little bit. Let's do ABC, XYZ. No, I can't. Or in elementary school, I'm going to tell. I'm going to tattle. So how in the world did this town, this town, with the racial issues that was going on in our in our country at that time how in the world did this small town say listen this is what we're going to do we're going to break the law in order for all of us no matter what the color of our skin is to coexist and to live respectfully together literally they had at the time they had a gentleman going around because come on guys this isn't there were no cell phones, clearly. <laughs> there were no newspapers in covert, clearly. There wasn't a whole bunch of stuff that we have right now. So you got to really go back and think of how this could have happened. So he went around and he collected the names and of uh, the students that would be going to school. And by that, historically, they would put their, if it was a black child, they would put that on, I believe, whatever this report, the name of the report was, they put this on there. And they sent this report, would send this report to the 
state capitol. They decided that they were not going to do that. Uh, someone decided that I, there's a gentleman's name mentioned, but it, it had to be more than one person because think about it. One person couldn't decide, I'm not going to put the names of these black children on this report so that all of these black children can go to school with all of the white children. Someone had to not be happy with that decision, I would think. But because it happened, somehow they were silenced. If there was a a small group that said, listen, we're not for this, we don't want this, the majority ruled and, um, or perhaps they didn't speak up at all. But it was just quite interesting that, um, you know, this town story of hope and determination as they literally defiantly stood against hate is what gained national recognition. Historians, psychologists, there was a team of people, many people that literally studied this and sought to unravel the mystery of how this one extraordinary town during one of the most tumultuous times in United States history found a way around federal and state laws in its stance against segregation. I didn't feel the segregation was as strong or as serious here in Colbert as it was in the other communities. Or I, I never felt a strong, had a strong feeling of segregation here because I grew up going wherever I wanted to go, doing whatever we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we didn't, we didn't have any can't can't go to places different races sat together in one room schoolhouses in the early 1900s at covert dances dances high school dances white kids and black kids were going to dances and sock hops in the in the 1950s together And they were even buried side by side together, whites and blacks. They were buried together, side by side, I should say, not together. That's odd, but as there's pictures that are showing this, and and I'll post this on my blog. I am writing an article. Please go check that out on cordiallycamille.com. I will insert the pictures that I found um, on the internet that actually show black students and white students going like socializing together, which was unheard of, my friends, at that time. We knew things were changing in the world and there was problems here at Culver, but not to the extent of you know, other places. Mm-hmm. We just got along, that's all. We'd have our disagreements and we'd have, there would be segregation to a point and there would be disagreements and things, but we got along basically. We never separated. We just, we were still, we didn't, we felt, we're from Culver. That's oh, wow. it. So in Culver, there were a small group of, of well hearted individuals who decided to choose a dose of respect for all of their neighbors over the toxic medicine the government was forcing on them. And it wasn't just them. They were forcing it on American cities and American towns. But Covert was like, nope, I'm not standing for it. A narrative of hate that residents of Covert chose to ignore, whether, you know, in the early days or during the times of segregation in this town, residents of Covert stood their ground and and in their quiet fight, they literally were saying, we're going to wage war against the ridiculous, awful laws and uh, that are dividing us. I applaud them. I When I found that out, and I literally just found that out by doing my research for this special, I, I was literally blown away by that. That was very brave, and it was very um, 
just unheard of. And clearly, no one else in the United States did that. My hats off to to uh, the individuals um, that just were brave enough to stand up against hatred. So although they did this and they allowed children, black children and white children to be educated together, you know, I, I'm pretty sure from what I'm hearing that it doesn't mean that it was just some sense of, of peaceful utopia that, you know, they all loved each other. I'm pretty sure they had just a, a good respect from each other from what I'm gathering from talking to others and and which was commendable truly that chose to live in this town perhaps not completely separate but certainly not entirely equals either and although not perfect this situation for black families was more than what they could have ever asked for. You have to understand that these are families that traveled, that just left slavery. This had to be, even though we know it's not based off of what we know right now, it wasn't some type of peaceful utopia, amazing type of situation. I, you know, I would still want to live in a little bit more harmony, but compared to what they went through, Oh my word, this is just phenomenal. We just went along with our daily activities. Oh wow. And uh, it was, I never heard of any, you know, different discussions or anything. I, we had problems, yes, difficulties, but we got along, we helped each other. Families helped. You didn't have to be any color to have, to have need. If you had needs, you had help. Covert was a small but strong community. And every single person that I interview, every single person says that this is a strong community. In this community, there were a few white leaders that decided to change things. You know, back then it was illegal for whites and blacks to attend school together. So the township omitted the race of students when sending roles to Lansing for state aid. And by them doing that, all children in covert were able to receive an education together. A group of people saying, listen, we're, this isn't right. We're not going to do it. We're going to send this to Lansing illegally. And uh, they broke laws to do that, as stated before. So they broke laws. They broke barriers in order for this to happen. But how? How, how, how? I was trying to get to the bottom of this. How did this small town integrate its schools when there were laws that prohibited black children from attending school with white children? How were blacks elected to prominent positions when the state of Michigan voted not to allow blacks to vote at all? How did this one town bypass what was the law at that time? And literally black out what was going on and walk harmoniously with those in their town despite their many differences. The main difference being the color of their skin, a difference that was bringing our country at that time to its knees. How did Covert do that? The town of Covert, Michigan made big waves as it was among the only area in the United States that was virtually unaffected by segregation. Yet, even before the time when racial tension was at its height in America and civil unrest and racial division and all of the horrible things that was going on at that time was the most prevalent, the residents of Covert were knowledgeable as to what was occurring in the country, but many of the school teachers were ill-equipped to discuss diversity, so they were knowledgeable as to what was occurring in the country, but there was no discussion about it in the schools. The teachers didn't talk about it. Families may have talked about it, but at school and in the community and public, there was no discussion about what was going on. But they did have an issue that came up and it occurred with the Olympics when several of the athletes decided to protest. And because of that, it did have an effect on the men's basketball team at Covert. And there were some, a few team members that decided that they wanted to protest as well. And that is when change needed to happen. The administration became extremely concerned that they would lose control of 
the seemingly peaceful situation that they had in their small town. I had the wonderful privilege of interviewing Mr. Charles Peterson Sr., otherwise known as the poet. He is a graduate of Covert High School and, as he stated, the mighty class of 1969. But it was at that time, during his senior year, that things were really getting out of control in our country. It was shortly after the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King when Mr. Peterson decided that he needed to use his voice to make a difference in Covert High School. Well, my surname is uh, Charles E. Peterson Sr., but most people call me Deacon Peterson. Uh, and my class was a mighty class of 1969. I was came to Colbert, Michigan when I was in the year 1958. I was eight years old. And I seen uh, my ninth birthday in, uh, in Colbert. Um, we lived uh, a couple corners from where you, your father grew up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we was classmates. And uh, our class was very, very strong. Uh, from the onset, we uh, was very opinionated people. <laughs> During my interview, I was talking with families that said that their families would sit around their televisions and, or their radios. They would watch or listen to the speeches by Dr. King and Malcolm X. They listened intently as the reporters gave their grim opinions about the marches that were occurring in places like Selma, Alabama, Washington, D.C., all of the unrest. They watched as young Ruby Bridges and her mother were escorted by U.S. Marshals by court order into the William France Elementary School. And that, as we all know, marked the beginning of the end of the educational segregation in the United States. These families in covert watched the angry crowds yell at Ruby's mother and at this young girl as they walked into a school, an all-white school for the first time, which I cannot even imagine. So you have these families, if you can just picture it, they're discussing these events, you know, about what is transpiring in their home. So they were well aware that their world was divided by the color of their skin and not by, as Martin Luther King said, the content of their character. I'm sure they read newspaper articles about the Black Panther movement, about Dr. King, Malcolm X, the riots that were happening, lynchings, what happened to Rosa Parks, how she was arrested. She said, no, I'm not going to the back of the bus, which was so brave. How about the KKK? They read about all of these different things and similar stories. But to most in this community, this news seemed like a world away from where they were or what they were experiencing. In covert, the heaviness of the national current events were not a reality in their community, which Again, here's my word, mind-blowing. We were just becoming young men and young women. Mm-hmm. We were beginning to see a lot of things, not through our parents. I do it because I said so. But, you know, we began to see things and uh, realize one day, it won't be long before we'll be in a position to make our own decisions. Mm. And uh, we were almost at the end in fact we were juniors and uh something horrible happened not only to us but to to our people Hmm. dr martin the king was assassinated and that brought about a horrible response to a lot of young people and uh we were now, your dad say I, I was and I, I got I got <laughs> I got the finger pointed at me in a lot of ways for being uh, instrumental and mental, uh, militantly uh, involved. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but they don't know the other, other side of the story. I was watching uh, uh, freshmen and and, and 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 sophomores throwing trash cans down from the third floor and I was trying to get them to stop. See, I was say, yeah, we got a right to speak and have our say, but we don't want to kill nobody. Right. <laughs> well, I thought I heard that you, you led, um, you know, a march or, you know, something downtown covert. I'm probably yeah. getting ahead of myself. Did you do that as well? 
we uh, well, I, we did have a, a, a march, I believe, and we, we you know, just showing that solidarity. You know, they showing solidarity and, and trying to show that hey, you know, as young people, we got a voice too. And uh, you nice. know, we need uh, to. Uh, what happened to Dr. King? You know, uh, we was very young. We understood one thing, and uh, I, I don't think some people thought we should be thinking that way. That even though you you may have thought you killed the head of the snake, mm-hmm. uh, we 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 we're not going out like that. Dr. King gave his life for for a cause that we're not going to die with him. It's not going to die with him. In the 1960s, when segregation and hatred divided our country in the most violent ways imaginable, covert, set unscathed by the current events of that dark time, you have white men, you have black men that walked together, they worked together, they lived in the same community, they lived next to each other, they rode kids, white kids, black kids, rode the bus together educated together without outbreaks of violence or issues. I'm sure there were issues, but not violent issues. But tension was rising and the predominantly Caucasian administration grew a bit concerned that unless they made a drastic change, things just may get out of control. It was a risk, my friends, that they were unwilling to take. Now back to my interview with Mr. Charles Peterson, the poet. Covert is known for is, and that's something that I'm mentioning in the special, is that um, it's a town where segregation never took place. Um, So... You were in Covert, Michigan, small town. Um, it's a town, even though there were so many horrific things going on in our country, but in this small town in Michigan, segregation was not practiced. Yet, you found it it necessary or you just still felt like you needed to speak up. Did you feel as if they were complacent, that they were sitting back you know, too oblivious as to what was going on, or um, what were were your emotions uh, at that time? Well, our emotion was that you know that was the COVID that we had come to, mm-hmm. uh, but time brings about many changes, mm. and uh, as as we grew up, there was signs of change that was being implemented into the culture and uh, you know in, in regular after that you know we uh, after what we did that you know <laughs> in part uh, we had black teachers but we didn't really have black uh, uh, principal the superintendents. After several black athletes protested at their basketball game, the administration, which was then all white, decided to make a radical move and hire its first black principal. This decision by the school board was one of the first moves of its kind, but the administration felt that it was a much needed and necessary move. Their hope was to get ahead of the racial tension before it became a problem. And they feared that the core of who they were and what COVID was about was going to potentially be compromised because of the events that were transpiring in our country. We had an incident at the school where we had a basketball game and uh, I think that might have been in my senior year and uh, we um, we had we did something that we that I, I seen at the Olympics when uh, John Carlos and uh, and Mr. Thomas uh, they were at the Olympics and they saluted the flag with their fists mm-hmm. and it didn't go well for them and it didn't turn out well for them at all looking back over their lives and what they went through after they did that okay and uh but 
you know, we had some hostility at us, but we had some appreciation that they were willing to stand up for what they believed in. I think their, the comments that they said was that we had to be seen because we couldn't be heard. Oh, wow. wow. And, uh, <laughs> and that was like, okay, uh, the world is watching. So, you know, so they, they made an awesome statement and it kind of stuck. And so when we had our, our basketball game, our next home basketball game, I believe, uh, uh, don't tell, don't tell Mr. Young, but I, I was speaking to the, <laughs> to the team and saying, yo, we ought to do that. <laughs> we, ought, we ought to salute our flag. It's our flag. We should salute the way we want to. You know, it's not what they might think it means, but that's, that's showing our pride. Sure. And uh, that's the way we want to do it. Well, I'm going to let you know really quickly, insert this, that he already knows. (laughs) (laughs) That came up in my interview, so. (laughs) And your name was attached right to it, so. (laughs) So Covert Public Schools hired one of its own, a young black man by the name of John Young. And I interviewed him. And it's an amazing interview. I cannot wait for you guys to hear it in its entirety. You are getting segments in this special, but um, I will give you a full interview in uh, an upcoming podcast because it was just that amazing. I enjoyed talking to him very, very much. They hired Mr. Young as Covert's first black principal. And he often joked and said that it was because of my father's class that they hired him. 1969, the 1969 uh, graduating class of Covert High School, he said, I got hired because of them, because of what was going on. So um, that was pretty awesome. They charged him with the task to hire as many qualified black educators as possible. And one of those educators was my uncle Quentin Mingo, who was a graduate of Western Michigan University. He was hired as one of those teachers um, by Mr. Young, which is like pretty awesome as well. This was a radical move that the administration uh, took. And it sent a strong message to all um, that Covert was not going to tolerate segregation and division. And they took their stance and they made history as one of the only schools in the area and even in the United States to make such a strong stance against segregation at the time. Covert school system had a largely minority staff and administration, which was literally unheard of. And to this day, the school has an almost equal number of minority staff members as it does white teachers and staff, which is still, what was the word I used? Mind-blowing. Absolutely mind-blowing. I have the honor and privilege to interview Mr. John Young. Mr. Young was hired in by the Covert Public School System as its first African-American principal. In the late 1960s, after a series of events, the administration grew concerned over the possible civil unrest that may transpire in covert or so they thought and so they took the steps bold steps to hire its first african-american principal and that principal is mr john young please listen in to this very small portion of the interview that i had with mr john young as he shared with me his thoughts and his feelings around his hire and his experience in covert michigan Uh, my name is john l young i'm Member of the mighty class of 1956, Colbert High School Bulldogs, 33rd class to graduate from the Colbert Consolidated School. Then I get a call from, I think it was Dr. Woods, and he said that the board wanted to talk to me about coming down there as an assistant principal in Colbert. And, and so when I go down, I meet with them, and they talk to me what they were trying to do and what had happened in the school, um, why they needed to have me come there and all now can you stuff. tell me a little bit about that what had happened in the school and what was going on in covert well, at that time yeah well i tell you i really don't know where it happened but but see this was a year after tommy smith and john carlos mm-hmm. had extended their fist along with this guy the white youngster from australia who was blackballed for life after that okay. a lot of people don't understand what he went through but they put the fist in the air down at the olympics Okay. So uh, 
Charles, I think it was Charles Peterson. Uh-huh. Charles, Charles is the kind of person, a heavy reader, he studies a lot, and, and he'd see things around Colbert and felt like they should be better. Okay. And and his point was, his approach was to, you know, let's come together, just you know, come to some kind of plan and approach the people that are in power, mm-hmm. how we can work on this. Charles is always, always on a peaceful way, you know. Right. But anytime you do something, you're always going to get somebody who's going to be extreme. But he so went true. someplace, and I think it might be Charles's brothers. <laughs> they put their fists up in the air, and this just was scary to. You know, whites in that area. These oh, are yeah. people that they're not accustomed to all the things that goes on in, in other places, you know. We get Johnny Young come back. He knows Cole pretty good, and he's also young enough to connect with the kids. Okay. And that's, and that's how I got back there. And I was supposed to be an assistant principal. When I got back there, Halstead, who was a basketball coach at Bangor when I was in high school, uh-huh. he had got a job over in Cole. And he got a job from there to Ben Harbor, so he okay. was, the position was open. And, and Doctor Woods asked me if um, if I'd be. He said, "You don't mind being principal, do you?" And I, <laughs> I thought, "Well, if I'm going to jump in the well, I might as well jump feet first right away." So there I you said, go. Okay. Hawking on the other side, yep. and, and I know everybody. So you know, right. I'm, I'm, I'm Johnny Young, who shot the basketball. So right, I'm exactly. <laughs> you know, the night I broke the league record. Jerry Saddle kept the scorebook. He's the one who come and told me. So now they knew got, you. It's, it's battled, you know. I'm going back home and I'm thinking, what's going on? You know, I, I look at the school, you know, they're taking the white kids out of schools, the ones that could afford it. The kids, the white kids that couldn't afford it, they felt like they were trapped there, you know. Okay. Man, so. but, but, uh, and were they the voicing those up? concerns? Were those concerns that they were voicing, like at the, the school seven, board meetings or just it, rumors? Yeah, they were... Yeah, people were talking about those different things, and I don't. And I think it was good conversation because people were talking about how they felt. Okay, you know? I agree. And, I agree. And, they, and they needed to know that because you can't work on things if you don't know how they felt. More from Mr. Charles Peterson, class of 1969. I said, you, you, you know, we all got to follow the path that we want to fly. And so, no, it was, we did what we did, you know, and ain't forcing nobody to do anything. And I think that was understanding when we came out the door. And uh, I like that. And when we, when we did what we done, it was, you know, you know, I turned around to get a synopsis of who was doing it. And I said, wow, you know. Hmm. And uh, that was other brothers up in the. Uh, we had alternates up in the in the stands that did it also. And okay. I think some of the uh, the people seeing us doing it did it. You have 1969. You have so much civil unrest was going on in our country. You are in small town covert USA, and you wanted to make a difference. Um, you wanted your voice to be heard, and so um, that was your way of of allowing your voice to be heard and clearly it worked so that's commendable and that's a huge like such an example to um others that that came after you um to use your voice to implement and to bring about change and later on i wrote about uh something called a beat and 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 the beat is is it it winds up being fate but it's something that was passed down from our ancestors Mm -hmm. and and I uh, say, and, and a quote that, that in, in several of my works says that uh, um, they assassinated the drummer, but we're here to verify that the beat goes on. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay, that's yeah. strong. That's a so, strong statement. Yeah, and, and, and uh, what, you know, what, what, was, what was done, we was letting them know that the beat goes on. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's who we are. You know, it helped shape our lives. I think the last two years in my high school life mm-hmm. uh, gave me a stronger foundation, you know, because and, and gave me a, a voice that I thought that, you know, if there's anything I could ever say, then I'm going to be one of those to say it. I learned from a lot of our old heroes, you know. Like, uh, one of was like... Uh, Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. 
even though our faith's different, you know, his principles and, and what he did and, you know, and he spoke out about, you know, even Malcolm, it's like those, those things was instrumental in saying, all right, but, you know, King was that, that voice that, that, uh, uh, solidified everything because it lets you know that anger begets anger. Yeah. You know, hatred begets hatred. You know, and uh, if we become this, if we do what they're doing, we come become who they are. Now, how how did it? You you saw what was happening. You they shut things down. The school was closed for a few weeks. You, I can only imagine how everyone felt. After hearing about Dr. King's assassination, um, just in the pit of your stomach, just that feeling of like, what in the world is going on? The school hires its first black um, principal. What are your thoughts? First day you see him in or you heard that they're hiring someone. What were your thoughts centered around that? (laughs) <laughs> Before he got there, we had the incident with the raising of our, our fists. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, when we done that, uh, at a, during the national anthem, the next three weeks, I believe, they didn't play the national anthem. Mm. <laughs> really? And and we went to we went to other schools. Oh, so did the other schools not play the anthem because they heard what happened at Covert? Not that they heard; they were told that was a that was a lesson, and that 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 was a you know it was a lesson to us, but it's also a lesson to them. You know, right Uh, now, regardless of whether you want to admit it, we got a little respect. True, that's true. Uh, you know, we got a little respect because, you know, you, you, you can't force us to, you know, we had to play a game that, you know, here you hear it a lot nowadays. You shouldn't use your platform for social, you know, awareness. Right. Uh, so that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. Right. It <laughs> is. Know. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. It's been going on for years. Right. Yeah. You know? So, but um, they were told, you know, it's best if you don't want no trouble, don't play the anthem. Let's jump the ball up and let them go up, throw the ball in, whatever you're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so you so went to we other like, schools and they refused to play it because they, they didn't they, want you guys to react. That's what they did. And we were like, to see the first black principal come in. Did that have an impact on you at all just to see someone who looked like you in administration for the first time? Or was it um, something that you guys just didn't, you know, it didn't affect you one way or the other? Oh, yeah. It, it made a, a whole lot of difference because we knew who we were dealing with. Because <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. Mr. Hawkins and, and Mr. Hawkins before Mr. Young, Mr. Hawkins was my sixth grade teacher. Okay. And uh, uh, I dealt with black teachers, you know, and uh, they had a, a principle about themselves, you know. And we knew that they was they they was uh, serious about who they were and who we should be. Okay. So and then you know what well, we had relationships with them, you know, we uh, the other establishment we was you know basically how you doing, uh, you know, uh, get to your class. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Now back to Mr. John Young, first African-American principal of Covert High School. Things that bothered me was that people just, you know, like Jerry took his kids out of school and uh, different people would take their kids out of school that, that I thought, you know, should have saved you, should help support the school. Because I, I thought the school did a good job and giving me an education and other sure. people that went through there too, you know. Absolutely. So, but, yeah. And where were they but, putting their kids in, like private schools or South Haven schools? Uh, or? Yeah, they, they were going. To, um, I think they were going down to South um, Ben Harbor to um, Lake Saint Michigan Joe? Catholic, Catholic, Michigan Catholic. I think something oh, like that. Oh, Lake Michigan Catholic. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Some of the kids might have been going to Water Reed and Cuomo that was close to you know through that border. Sure. That kind of stuff. 
Uh, I can't remember too many people going to South Haven. Kids in the seventies, they they had a cause for everybody in their minds when okay. they were doing something. The kids today are selfish. Yeah. It's about me. You know, I'm a, you know, um, I'm gonna wear this kind of clothes. I wanna be able to say this kind of thing and mm. I got the right to do this. Kids That's in the seventies, so they usually had had a cause mm. for everybody. Yeah. You know. And what you had to do with the work with it from that standpoint. Okay. And, you know, so when I when I decided I was going to be the principal of the school, I, I knew I kind of had to, had to kind of adjust myself. Because I'm thinking about Colbert school being like it was when, when I When you went were to, there. Because I went to school. As sure. seniors, you kind of helped to run the school. You know, you watch the hallways, nobody run. Hey, stop that running, all right. that kind of stuff. Right, You know, you help... Uh, at the end of the day, people would go take the trash down to the boiler room and all that stuff, yeah. you know. The buses, when buses get stuck on the way in the snow, we used to get out and push the buses and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, wow. You know, uh, some of the things you probably wouldn't want to do today because you get sued for doing some of that stuff uh, if youngster got hurt. But when I got there, it was kind of a different attitude. They overreacted because what... You know, it's, it's like two or three youngsters, I think, at first put their fists up in the air. And mm -hmm. then they, they, I think they suspended those youngsters. Did something. they really? They did, I think they did something. So, but, so it, it got all the other youngsters got riled up. They said, that, was, that wasn't fair. You know, they should have been suspended in school. So the next time I think they had a game, all the youngsters put their fists in the air from Cobra. Well, yeah. Even the black kids, I don't think understood what was really what was really going on. Okay. You know, I, you know, so but it really it, it what should have happened from my standpoint. Hmm. I'm, in one way, I'm glad it didn't happen because I got the job in court. That's yes, correct, <laughs> but, right? But 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 if they would have sat down and started talking to the youngsters, have a conversation yeah. about what what. How they thought about things because at this time, COVID is predominantly COVID became a predominantly black school when I was in the seventh grade. Oh, really? And, and, okay. Yeah, and things changed during that time because then you start having blacks as president of class, okay. president of the student body. Mm -hmm. um, uh, there was times in the forties when Van Dyke would let certain blacks play on a base basketball team. You know, really. Uh, but well. That changed, you know, and then when then actually blacks playing on a basketball team made coach basketball, oh. you know, just go up. Absolutely. It, we had, a, we, we had uh, when I was in high school, we had white players on a team. We never had an all-black team, but, and in fact, my junior, senior, junior year, we had uh, two white boys that started all the time were good ball players. You know, they came right. through Mr. L Mr. Leonard's team just like I did. Okay. You know, Dr. Woods hired the first black teacher when I was probably in 10th grade or something like that. All right, and they, Dr. Woods was the former principal? Former superintendent. He was superintendent. superintendent, okay. You hired a lady over, she was in elementary building. I think she worked in the uh, in a kindergarten area, something okay. like that. And then, then he hired her, her husband. Uh, he taught uh, junior high uh, when I was in high school. Okay. But when I came back to Colbert, he said to me, he said, John, you know what I want you to do? He said, for me. And I said, what's that? He said, I want you to plan a trip to go down through the South and visit some of the predominantly black colleges and interview for... Uh, teachers he said because they got really great teachers in those colleges oh wow and i think they would do a good job for us you know okay. i went down there and south haven had hired a couple okay teachers there, and uh, i ended up with probably i don't know i must have had probably five or six black teachers there at one time okay and uh maybe my top teachers I said, no wow kidding. you called you, it you, you, you can see it. You can see yeah. it. You know, and the home ec department always had good teachers. Home yeah. Ec department. Yeah. Um, the um, people that came to Culver, I always wondered why did you come to a small school like Culver? And I think one of the things is because being all black, I thought some of these white teachers going to be a little, you know, afraid of coming here. Right. So many things were happening, but there's a certain peaceful thing about Culver. And Cobra, Cobra youngsters, I'm telling you, there's not 
another group of youngsters around. When I left Colbert, I wasn't trying to make the school, you know, that I went to like the school that it was. I was trying to make it like Colbert. People told me, well, you know, Colbert's small there. Uh, you can you can make any school operate if you're willing to do the work. And Colbert, Colbert's kids, those kids, it was something about those kids that, uh, first place, you didn't have to, you have to tell them about, about uh, how to love. Those kids knew how to love. Right. You know? And one of the things that I found out as an administrator and as a teacher first is that I had to find out how to love kids and not lose myself. Oh. Because there comes a time, I'm going to love you to death. But boy, I'll choke your tongue out your mouth if you ever say that to me again. Right, you know? right. Now, now, come here and give me a hug and let's take care of business. Right, you know, I, exactly. I had to learn to do that. Yes. And so the kids, the biggest thing the kids did is they let me love them. Okay. They let me love them. And I had an assembly one time. <laughs> we were in a new building. I don't know what happened. I'm talking to them about taking care of each other, and watching out for each other, and blah, 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 like that. And... Um, uh, the Jeffries, uh, the oldest Jeffries boy, he, he yelled out, we love you, Mr. Young, too, and he's getting out of Was the that game. Milo? He, he, was no, his brother. But the one thing I realized, the difference between black schools and white schools. What is that? Black people, black people and white people love differently. Interesting. They really do. Okay, they really explain. Do. Uh, uh, they, we're, we're, we're more open with stuff. We're okay. more forgiving about stuff. So, okay. White students are more cautious about things. They're, okay. You know, and you'd have to almost tell them, you know, I don't, I don't mind you being close to me. You know, I'm gonna watch out for you, take care of you, but we can be close and right. care for each other. We have allowed the press uh-huh. and the media, yeah, to make us look like we're God's most evil people, when in fact we're God's most loving people. The thing, the thing about Colbert is that. Um, they would they would get the raw end of deals and they would recuperate fast. Yeah. You know? I said, I want you to never make to let them forget the night they played the Cobra Bulldogs. Yeah, I used to I used to hear either my mother and father would talk about us sometimes and sometimes people would come over to the house and they would talk about when they were growing up and that kind of stuff. And you um my dad and mom were all they were always readers and they would talk about things in the news. And my father and mother, I guess, you know, they decided they needed to let my brother and sister and I know who we were. Mm. So, uh, I, you know, racial slurs never bothered me. Okay. Uh, but you could call me anything you want to. I know what my name is and the whole deal. Nice. Uh, now, you might not get away with trying to do it. Right. <laughs> you know, you, I, they don't bother, bother they don't me, mean, but there may be consequences. That's right. You got, you know, <laughs> you know, but everybody was together. You know, I got, there's a number of, of uh, white women, older white women that were like part of family. I mean, they called me their baby. The first time I went back oh, nice. to the principal, uh, Mrs. Wine saw me at the, at the, um, uh, Post office, and she said, "That's my baby." And everybody oh, said, oh, that's you know, so cute! Because, uh, you know, I had a, I had her grandson come and ask me, did, "Was I any kin to them?" Because she referred to me about that. You know, that's so, so funny. And, and we did things <laughs> together, you know. But we we had dances at the school. Um, you know, we didn't we didn't have you wouldn't see white and blacks dating, and we didn't we didn't dance at the school together. If you had to sum up growing up in covert into one word what would that one word be growing up in covert one word um one word only one word only um love love yeah i was blessed that my children could come through the same system wow and will covert always be home to you in your heart always always it's always home Covert, Michigan, this special, special town of Covert, Michigan, made its mark nationally as author Annalisa Cox wrote of this phenomena in her award-winning book entitled A Stronger Kinship. I put this book on my bookshelf on my Cordially Camille blog. I encourage each one of you to read it 
It is phenomenal. It opened my eyes up to so much. And again, I grew up in this town. But again, the name of the book is A Stronger Kinship. You can find it, the Amazon link on my blog, cordiallycamille.com. I encourage you to read this book. Read it to your children. It's a phenomenal, um, amazing story. So I just thought I would throw that out there about the book. You have to read it. I was in contact with Dr. Cox and I will have the amazing honor and privilege of interviewing her here on the Call Me Camille podcast in the very near future. So I look forward to that. And that's going to be an episode that I know you are going to not want to miss. She is amazing. She has so much insight. I look forward to that interview and I cannot wait to talk with her. But in the meantime, my friends, please go visit cordiallycamille.com and you will find the Amazon link to this book. Please read this book. Get your hands on it. Share it. More from Mr. Charles Peterson, class of 1969. There's a few books that are out about covert um, and it seemingly paints covert as this kind of like this uh, utopia, this, you know, everyone lived together harmoniously. And um, is that an accurate account well, as to the covert that you remember growing up? It was to the degree that, you know, uh, before we got there, I think the book that I'm thinking of, uh, uh, a, a Greater Kinship, I think. A Stronger Kinship, mm-hmm. Well, kinship, you know, I was the, uh, I became the, um, I was the grand marshal of our 150th year parade. Oh, nice. And, uh, um, and I met, uh, the lady that was, that wrote the strong kinship, mm-hmm. Annalisa Anna Cox. Correct. And, uh, she, she wrote a stronger kinship. And, and by then, I had written a, a book myself called A Poet's Perspective. Mm. And sh- sh- we switched, we swapped books. And, um, she told the story of COVID and how the, you know, back in the day when black and whites were at odds, possibly still on separate sides of the streets or separate ends of the town, mm-hmm. uh, COVID was. Working together, Correct. side by side, okay, and worshiping together, you know, and they were still doing the worshiping together. They were still working together, but um, there became a, a separation between school and community that was be, beginning to be evident. What is one word that you would use to describe your relationships with past or present friends from covert? Uh, When I say covert, what is the first word that comes to mind? Home. Yeah, that was uh, a lot of people looked at, well, covert is a little this, a little that, but I I say, you know, it's not the size of the the dog in the fight is the size of the fight in the dog. We can always turn and go back to it. That phrase, but who let the dogs out? Roof, roof, roof. Sitting on the shores of beautiful Lake Michigan, covert Michigan, whose diverse population seemingly bypassed the racial division that was prevalent in a time in history where all most black Americans could do was to just simply hope and dream of unity. My friends, that dream of a less divided America that most black Americans could only pray and hope for was a reality for most who lived in this small town. Longtime residents reflect on Covert's rich and unique history when I was talking with them and when I interviewed them with great pride. It's a history that gained national attention as historians captured this phenomenon as shown in an exhibit entitled Making a Way Out of No Way at the Smithsonian Institution National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C. An exhibit that is amazing, that highlights the strategies and the successes of black Americans and that they used over the years to overcome slavery and racism. 
Covert, Michigan is this small town where residents, both current and former, share a strong family-like bond. Relationships that last are literally passed on from generation to generation. Memories of yesteryears that they last for decades and family-like friendships that continue to grow as time passes. The covert family connection with its deep, strong, and wide roots, with some of those roots that, for those who may not have attended covert high school, those roots are still strong. They are still wide. There's still so much love there. There's so much, there's still a strong bond. But for those families and those students that both lived in the community and attended the high school, their roots look a bit different than others. And I'm just going to say that their roots bleed blue and gold, and they rest with pride in the doghouse of the Covert Bulldogs. I had the wonderful experience of growing up in this special town. The memories, just like the many faces from my childhood in Covert, will forever be a part of me and in my heart honestly. I wrote about many of my experiences on a post on the Cordially Camille blog. I encourage you to go read about it from picking blueberries to playing in the ditch or in the sand dunes and how I thought that I found dinosaur bones. I don't want to give it away because I would really love for you to go and read my uh, blog posts about growing up in covert but my childhood was amazing the friends and the family like friends and family that are there oh my word all of the experiences will literally live in my heart forever to many of us even those who have moved away covert is and forever will be home Thank you so much for joining me here on the Call Me Camille podcast for this special as we wrap up Black History Month with this very special episode where we discuss Covert, Michigan, a small town with an intriguing and inspiring history, an American town that never experienced segregation. Please join me again here next week on this podcast on your favorite streaming platform. You can also join me on all of my socials. While you're there, please follow me and subscribe to receive updated information and to connect. On Instagram, you can find me at Sonia Camille Blogger, as well as Call Me Camille Podcast. Please join me again here next week on this podcast on your favorite streaming platform. You can also join me on all of my socials. And while you're there, please follow and subscribe to receive updated information and to connect. On Instagram, you can find me at Sonia Camille Blogger and at the Call Me Camille podcast, as well as on TikTok. I'm on TikTok now. So please join me at Call Me Camille podcast on TikTok. Listen, friends, I would be thrilled if you also check out my blog, cordiallycamille.com. I am going to release a post about growing up in covert just after this airs. And I would encourage you to go there and take a peek at it and to read a little bit more about this extraordinary town and my experience in this extraordinary town. You will also find a host of articles and information on a variety of relevant topics. Well, that's it, my friends. Thank you so much for calling me Camille.